0: Um, a few, uh, or a couple months ago, a few months ago now, uh, I was I gathered uh, at a meeting with a with a handful of other pastors in Dallas. Which, before I go any further, I realize that sounds like the lamest meeting of all time. It's like, yeah, sounds fun, Matt. Uh, no, gathered. It really was a lot of fun. Just me and a few other pastors from around uh, gathered, and we gathered over at Watermark Church in Dallas, and and uh, we we uh, you know we referenced Todd Wagner's book, "Come and See," a lot, and. Uh, the Watermark uh, uh, church family in, in Dallas has been just incredibly good to us and generous with us and getting re- helping us launch Re-Engage here. And we, go, uh, we take some leaders every year to their church leadership conference. They just really blessed us. And we're not trying to be Watermark. We're not trying to copy them. But, but, uh, but we've just seen a lot of life and goodness there that, that's impacted us and blessed us. And, and as I was sitting with this uh, group of uh, pastors uh, from around, and, and John McGee, one of, the, one of the staff pastors there at Watermark, was kind of just asking, we were waiting on Todd to come, uh, Todd Wagner, the lead pastor there, and it's a church of thousands of people, and, and uh, everybody's just kind of going around and telling their, their just their, their introduction, and kind of how they came to know Jesus, how they were called, and, and I gave my kind of general, you know, I got in some trouble, and then found Jesus, Jesus got a hold of me, and, and, and now I'm a pastor, and usually that's, and they say, well, trouble, like, what did you do? And I say, well, I just did some like Vandalism stuff, really vandalism? Yeah, like, like, and because and I don't ever like to say what I did. And finally, they just, uh, I say, well, I, I set my school on fire and, and burned it down. And it was a million plus dollars of damage. And that was 20 years ago. And, I, and um, every time I share that with somebody, every time I share with believers, even there's like this moment where um, I'm sized up and there's this question of, are you still crazy? Like, you know, and, and it's like, and it's kind of like this shock at, for a second, and then it's, okay, yeah, he's not crazy anymore. We, okay, let's go back to our conversation. Or there's like this awkward, like, huh, wow, you used to snort meth and you burned something down. Awesome. Um, let's, I guess you could talk to me about Jesus, you know, and, and but this group, there was just this uh really wow that happened and 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 then and then Todd walked in and they said Todd this lead pastor from Watermark and they said uh and I'm just bracing my like this isn't what I want to lead with with this guy this isn't this isn't the thing that I you know I, I don't want to be the guy of the group I've, that for 20 years I've been the guy that was locked up you know and and uh and and then they said guess what this guy burned his school down and then Jesus saved him and and called him to be a, a minister and and Todd looked at me and he laughed hysterically. And it wasn't a shaming laugh. It was joy. It wasn't, I didn't get the, oh, I guess you can be here. It was this totally unsurprised laughter and joy that I don't doubt that God can do that in people's lives. And and whether you've done a bunch of crazy stuff 20 years ago or 20 seconds ago, and you feel like you're an outcast, or whether you've never done anything, you've, you've been right down the middle of the road, and you feel like, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed because I don't have a big story of shooting heroin in my eyeballs or whatever it is. Like Maybe you feel because you've been an insider, maybe you feel like you don't have a story, or maybe you've been an outcast and you feel like you don't belong. Whichever side of that. Guys, we all need the same gospel. And what, what, where, I, where I so often fail as a leader and where I just, being, being around Todd was, was so, such a blessing because I could see in that moment, this is why, this is a big reason why God has been able to use this man so much was because there's just this absolute faith that the gospel will transform anybody. And I find myself so often wringing my hands and saying, oh man, stuff's bad, you know, what are we going to do about it? And I hear us and we get in the conversation. Man, stuff's bad in Sweetwater. Man, this marriage, what are we going to do? And we get into all of this rationalization and all of this Eeyore type of stuff. And we've got, you have the most powerful message that God has entrusted you with. That Paul the Apostle says that the gospel, Jesus crucified and risen, it's the power of of God for salvation. It's what your marriage needs. It's what your addict friend needs. It's what you need to, to be set free from your addiction. It's, it's the power of God. And whatever, however broke down your marriage is. Or however broke down your singleness is. Or however broke down you are. Or maybe you feel broke down because you, you're not broke down. Whatever the, the case may be. The gospel is powerful. And you have been entrusted with something amazing. Sometimes, Jesus gets in our way to get us on the way. That's what I want us to hear this morning. We're going to hear about two different people, two very radically different people, different ends of the spectrum. One, a total outcast, has been an outcast as long as he can remember, and one who was an insider who had every gold star on a Sunday school sheet. And they were totally opposite, an outcast and an insider. And they're right next to each other in Acts chapters 8 and 9. They needed the same thing. They both needed the same gospel. They both find freedom in Christ. So we're, we're, we're going to first talk about an Ethiopian eunuch that we meet at the end of Acts chapter 8. But first, kind of let's um, uh, um, kind of back up a little bit. Philip is, is, is going to be used of God to take to, 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 to lead this Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Who's Philip? Philip was one of those seven guys chosen back in Acts chapter 6. There was this major cultural and language and, and ethnic conflict going on in the church. And there were these seven guys chosen for their faithfulness to Christ. They were chosen to help the church navigate through this difficult time. And when there was this conflict going on in the church, there was a struggle going on in the church. You know, the church didn't get through that by um, having super cool Facebook memes that shared how smart they were and how correct they were. They didn't get through that. They didn't navigate that conflict by pulling out a couple of uh, scriptures out of context and saying, see, now I've proved my point. They navigated the conflict through humble servanthood. Isn't that amazing? And they, they served one another. And that's how they navigated this first conflict. And I don't know how we get that back, but we got to get that back. Okay? And so they choose, they choose these seven men, and, 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 and these men are gifted men. And, and, and they're called, and they could have done pretty much anything, Stephen and Philip and the others. And they're told, okay, your job is to do Meals on Wheels with some elderly widows who are not happy with the church and the church's leadership right now. And they might not have thought that sounded like a really fascinating job. They might have thought, really? That's my job? And yet they do that job faithfully. They do that job well, and God opens up all kinds of additional possibilities for them. Stephen, that like we talked about last week, he, he shares the gospel in a powerful message, and he dies well. He dies brutally, but he dies faithfully as a witness for Christ. And then this week, we'll look at Philip, who's going to be the first evangelist, the first person that takes the good news out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, into Samaria, and then even beyond. Uh, that's just what Jesus said would happen in one, Acts 1, 1.8. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the ends of the earth. And so Acts 8, Philip, the evangelist, takes the gospel to Samaria. And the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They hated each other. They didn't want anything to do with each other. And Philip, he does, he's not care, caring about, uh, about the borders or the boundaries or any of that kind of stuff. He just says, I I want to share the gospel. The Spirit prompts him and he goes. And then, picking up in verse 26, Acts 8, 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And so we see a couple things about Philip. He's an ordinary Christian. He's not an apostle. He's not a pastor as we would understand it. He's an ordinary Christian. But he's got an intimate walk with Jesus. And Jesus says, go, and he goes. And, 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 and Jesus sends him, the Spirit of God sends him to this desert place. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia. Now, there's three things that we hear about this person that Philip encounters. He's an Ethiopian, so he's, he's from another nation than Philip. He's from North Africa, and the kingdom of Ethiopia was a, was a much larger kingdom than the country of Ethiopia we know of today. This man's from another nation. He's a eunuch. And a eunuch, without going into a lot of details, a eunuch is a castrated uh, male, okay? So he's a male who's been castrated, and as a castrated male, um, he would not have been able to be included in, fully included in in Judaism. Uh, He would have been considered an outcast because his body was mutated, was mutilated, Okay, And so he's, he's an a Ethiopian, he's a eunuch, and he's a, a royal official from another nation. So, I mean, he's, he's very different than Philip. But he's come, we read, to Jerusalem to worship. And so there's something fascinating about the God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob to this man. Uh, There's something uh, that just draws him in that he's seeking, and and he's a worshiper of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But but the people of God, the Jewish people, would consider him an outcast because he's physically deformed, okay? He's physically uh, mutilated. So he is an outcast, and Luke refers to him as the eunuch over and over and over again to drive home. This is a guy that before Jesus would have forever been separated from community, all right? And... uh, he meets this guy, and, and, and uh, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, and, and re- he was returning now. He's going back home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet... Isaiah. So apparently, while he was in Jerusalem, maybe he went to Mardell's or the Bible bookstore, he got a copy of the scroll of Isaiah, and as he's driving down the road, like, he is reading the scroll. And uh, maybe Philip just kind of jogs up next to him, so if it, it, you have a biblical precedent here. If you want to pull up next to somebody in traffic and, and, and roll your window down and say, hey, do you know about Jesus? You, you can do that based on this passage, okay? And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked do you understand what you're reading very important here philip the evangelist if we want to be faithful witnesses if we want to be faithful evangelists we need to ask more questions than we're used to asking philip doesn't say hey i see you're reading isaiah there did you know that you're a sinner and you're going to hell like that totally would have shut down the conversation but if if we want to take a cue from from philip the evangelist if we want to engage people with jesus we need to ask a lot of questions jesus asked questions philip asked hey what are you reading there Tell me about that. What are you getting out of that? And you know what? Curiosity and empathy is going to go a long way to giving a hearing for the gospel. Curiosity and empathy. Philip asked, are you understanding what you're reading? And uh, and that invites conversation. And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He invites Philip. Come sit with me. Now, the passage of the Scriptures he was reading was this. He's reading from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is this great passage that points to the Messiah, that points to Jesus, who, who by his stripes heals us, who takes the sin of the world on himself. Now, uh, we, we may not typically identify with this Ethiopian eunuch, but, but we can in, in this way. Um, God has given us the very same gifts that he gave this guy. This guy's reading the scripture, he's just faithfully seeking scripture. Um, but he can't read it on his own, so God sends him a teacher to help him. Do you know that God has given you the very, the very same things? God has given you and me his word. And not only has God given you and me his word, but he's given us people to help us understand his word. People that teach Bible classes, me standing up here, uh, you've got lots of resources online. I mean, there's tons of resources we have to understand God's word. God has given you his word, and God has given you uh, people to help you understand his word. And and, and this eunuch is, is seeking God's word, but he doesn't understand it. That reminds me of when I first started reading the scripture. Um, I'm 16 years old, and I knew I needed to be re- and, and and I would read the Bible, and I would say, God, please help me understand. But I I could I could read the words, but I had no idea what they were saying. Does anybody relate to this? Like, what does this mean? And and I would start, I would get drowsy, and I would go to sleep. We, there, when I was in college, I would stand uh, I would stand on my bathtub. Uh, like this, so that if I fell, I knew I would like bust my head. And that was motivation to stay awake when I would read the Scripture. Not recommending you do that, but it did help, okay? Um, But I would say, Lord, help me understand. I don't understand. And over time, He helped me. But not only that, but He put people in my life to help me understand. And so if you're reading God's word and you're not understanding it, you're in good company. It doesn't mean you're defective. It doesn't mean you're dumb. You just need to stick with it. And God, keep praying, keep walking alongside other believers. God will bring his word. life for you stay with it okay and so and so this eunuch's humble enough to say i don't get it verse 34 the eunuch said to philip about whom i asked does this prophet say is this is he talking about himself or someone else and then philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture he told him the good news about jesus philip just walks him through from isaiah 53 he walks him through let me tell you the story about jesus they're driving along and the eunuch says hey here's some water is there anything that keeps me from getting baptized now, there has been something that's been keeping him from, from being a part of the people of God up till now. But now that he's heard about Jesus, this outcast says, hey, what's there to keep me from being part of the people of God? And they jump out, they get in the water and Philip baptized in there. Normally, we would get baptized in our community or, in our, or surrounded by our church family. But this, this Ethiopian guy, he's on, a, he's on a journey. He's not wasting any time. And he gets baptized right then and there. And church tradition says that he was the first missionary to Africa. He took the gospel to Africa. He took the gospel back home with him and people came to know Jesus because of his testimony. Just a couple things I want us to see about uh, about the eunuch. Again, he's hungry. You know, he's he's seeking God. Uh, and, and he he has been an outcast and considered an outcast. And maybe you identify with that. Maybe you've been the black sheep of your family. Maybe you've sinned big. Maybe there's all these reasons that you could list that, 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 that you don't belong to God or couldn't belong to God's people. God's given you the gifts of his word. He's given you gifts of, of his people. I encourage you to dive in. Let's look at Philip. Man, Philip's not a, an apostle. He's not, he, he doesn't say, hey, let's turn the, let's turn the... This, uh, let's turn this, uh, this, this car around. Let's go back to Jerusalem and Peter and James and John are going to have some great answers for you. No, he walks this guy through it. Philip is characterized by, he's got a passion for God. Man, God speaks and Philip is listening. He's, a, he's got a passion for God. Philip has a passion for God's word. This guy, this eunuch that he encounters, he's asking a question to Philip because he's, he's passionate about God's word, because he loves God's word. He's able to walk him through the story and find his place in the story. Philip Has a passion for lost people to come to know Jesus. Philip has a passion for the nations to come to know Jesus. And you know what? All of these things that I've just said, all those characteristics, passion for God, passion for the Word, passion for the lost to come to know Jesus, those are characteristics of a disciple. And if we don't have, if, if that doesn't sound like you, then, then either your walk with Christ has grown cold, or maybe you don't have a walk with Christ at all. because a disciple is characterized by a passion for God, a passion for God's word. Am I growing in that? A passion to see the lost come to know Jesus, and that's what's driving Philip. And this outcast gets brought in into the family of God. Now let's look at, let's shift gears to chapter nine to the ultimate insider, Saul. Bear with me for a few minutes, guys. Can you bear with me for a few minutes? Okay. Just get up and run out if if I go too long, okay? Chapter 9, verse 1 says, But Saul. But Saul. So in case we start thinking that the early church was all rainbows and butterflies and we see Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch just rolling off in the sunset together and everything's great, and man, the early church's air conditioner would never break down, their Wi-Fi never gave them problems. Unless we start thinking stuff like that, there's always a but. And Saul is a big butt, okay? He's, he, and so things are going great, but Saul. And, and some of us say, man, man, my marriage is pretty good, but. You know, I like my job, but. You know, Trinity's a decent church family, but there's always a but. But what are we, how are we going to respond to that? Uh, you know, Paul is going around and he's described here like a wild animal. He's going around breathing threats and murder and dragging men and women out of their houses and throwing them in prison just because they're Christians. And and, and why would God allow that to happen? The church sure wasn't thankful for Saul. Oh God, thank you for this guy that's terrorizing us. I mean, he is a terrorist at this point. And yet, God has in his sovereignty allowed Saul to do this stuff because God is using Saul. Saul's purpose isn't to bring comfort to the church. But Saul does, God does use Saul to bring the church to greater faithfulness. And sometimes, like sometimes as in multiple times a day, I have to remind myself that God's ultimate plan for me is not for my comfort. It is, for, is not for me to be comfortable. It's to make me faithful. God is not, his main job is not to make you comfortable, but to make you faithful. And that's what he's doing for the church here in the midst of this but. Okay, but Saul But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I believe that Saul and the eunuch are side by side here. And Saul, by the way, would have never been this close to a eunuch of his own choosing at this point in his life. They're so close together because we're intended to contrast them. This outcast and this insider, and how they both need the exact same gospel. Stay with me. Saul, is, he was basically born in the fellowship hall. He had every gold star on his Sunday school chart. He brought a Bible, he brought a friend, he memorized his verse... He has been there since the beginning. He has never deviated. His life is characterized by purity. And he gives in Philippians 3, after he's gone by Paul, which is his Greek name, uh, after he's become the apostle to the Gentiles, after he's been transformed, he lists his resume in Philippians 3. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of, of, of Benjamin. According to the law, I'm blameless. He kept the rules. He did it right. He was an insider. He had everything going for him. But he starts hearing about this movement around Jesus. And he starts seeing fellow uh, countrymen going and following this Jesus. And he starts hearing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple and Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And now God's concerned about the whole world, not just this little strip of land uh, in Palestine. And this starts messing with his head. And he has this knee-jerk fear-slash-rage response. Are we familiar with that knee-jerk fear-rage response? Um, if you're not familiar with it, just spend a little time on, on the, the Facebook or the, the the social media, and and you're going to see lots of examples of fear rage response. And Saul, even he's, he is um, he thinks he's doing right because he remembers how many times in the Old Testament his people wandered away from God, and he thinks Jesus is leading them astray, and he's going to fight for his people's purity. He's gonna go, he thinks he's doing God a favor. He's going to go drag all these people in. He's going to throw them in prison. He's going to fix this. He's going to stomp this thing out. He goes to the high priest, gets a letter, deputize me to go drag in these men and women and, set, and, and, and throw them in prison, and, and, and he thinks he's doing the right thing, and he's abusing power and you know rage, Fear, cruelty, and power. Like that's a a cocktail that's really dangerous. And Saul is just drinking from it right now. And I'm afraid the American church has been drinking from it for a really long time too. He's cruel. He's allowed cruelty to come in. And he's got this knee-jerk, cruel, fear, rage response. And he's convinced that he's right. It's interesting in verse 2, Christians are called the way. They weren't called Christians yet. They didn't know what to call them, so they were called the way. And the reason we were called the way was because we believe John 14, 6 that Jesus is the way. He's the way to the Father. He's the way to relationship with God. He's the way to eternal life. But not just that. They were called the way not just because they believed in their minds that Jesus is the way. They're called the way because they lived the way Jesus lived. Their lives looked like Jesus. They forgave their enemies. They, 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 they prayed for those who persecuted them. They, 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 they blessed those that hurt them. They sacrificially give. They feed and clothe and serve the very Romans who try to kill them. And, and a lot of times we like the destination. We like heaven. But we don't like the Jesus way. And the Jesus way is different than any other kind of way. And and what Saul is going to ha- have happened to him is he's going to have had his identity rooted. He's going to be transformed, and his identity is going to be rooted in Christ and Christ alone. And if we're sitting here today, it's really tempting to be an American first and a Christian tacked onto that. It's really tempting to be a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or a liberal and just tack a little Jesus onto that. That's not the way. That's an abomination. That's an abomination. And it's really tempting to take a couple of verses and say, oh, Well, this is what I already believe, so I'm going, to, I'm going to attach some Jesus or some Bible to that. When issues come along, we can, we can go the route where we're clicking through and saying, Here's a meme that's just going to really prove how right I am and how righteous I am. Or I can say, What does the gospel really say? If Fox News is, is discipling us, if CNN is discipling us, we're going to get twisted we got to get discipled by Jesus Christ, by Christ alone, and root our identity in Him because you're a Christian before you're an American or a Republican or Democrat or anything else. Or you're not a Christian. Or I'm not. So so Saul is going on his way. Verse 3, he went on his way. Jesus gets in his way. That's what's going to happen, to get him on the way. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. So Saul has been probably, as he's, as he's plodding along, he's thinking about the glory of the Lord. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's thinking about God's glory and how he's bringing glory to God in this moment. And then he sees a vision of God's glory and it throws him off of his, off of his donkey and he looks up and the person that he sees is Jesus, the person whose name he's been trying to stomp out. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And the reason Jesus says, why are you persecuting me is because Jesus identifies with the church and whatever Saul is doing to the church he's doing to Jesus and some of us today there's this thing today where we say I like Jesus I'm not embarrassed of Jesus but I don't like the church because the church is embarrassing do you know what that I'm pretty embarrassing and Jesus identifies with me anyway do you know that you're pretty embarrassing and Jesus identifies with you anyway I was a kid swimming at the Coleman pool and I kept jumping off the high dive and I was a little guy, and uh, my mom kept telling me, don't drown, as if those words were going to exhort me not to drown. And, and I would jump off the high dive and jump into the 12-foot park, and I would kind of swim across. And, and my mom kind of started getting ramped up that I was struggling. And I hear a splash behind me, and I look under the water, and my mom has jumped in the water with her shoes on, her sunglasses on, and she's just sinking. And I just kept swimming, and I just pretended I didn't know who she was. And and, and the, lifeguard, the lifeguard jumps in, and he pulls my mom out of the water, and he rescues her. And I just stayed on the other side of the pool, and, 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 and I just met her at the gate when it was time to leave. And, I was in, and that is kind of like our relationship with the church. It's embarrassing, but Jesus identifies with the church, broken as we are. So we don't have a choice of identifying with Jesus but not identifying with the church. The, the church is called the Bride of Christ. So if you say to me, Matt, I want to take you on this all-expense-paid vacation, to this, this island resort, uh, everything's paid for, uh, one catch, you, it's just you, I hate Sonda, she can't go. I'm going to say, uh, what island did you say that? No, I'm going to say, <laughs> hey, I'm going to say, hey, we're a package deal. You can't have me and not her. And that's, that's, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? Because he identifies with the church. But not only does he identify with the church, the church at this point in history was not a voting block. They were not a powerful demographic. They were a ragtag band of persecuted people who dared to believe in Jesus. They were the least. He identifies with them because they're the least of these. He identifies with them because they're weak. Jesus identifies with the weak. And he says to Paul, you're, you're persecuting me because you're persecuting the church and you're persecuting the weak. So Paul falls down. And I'm getting there, I promise. I'm getting there. He falls down and he's blinded. And then he has to get led by the hands into Damascus. And Paul, his conversion looks like this. He's humbled. He's humbled. This is what true conversion looks like. He's humbled. He repents, he turns, and he places trust in Jesus. And is, he is brought from a place of arrogance to a place of humility. He's transformed. He doesn't go back to dragging people out of their houses. He's transformed. The gospel, just that message of Jesus' is Lord, has transformed him. And he joins into God's mission. He becomes the apostle to the Gentile. If you have been converted, you will have been humbled by Christ. You will have been transformed and you will be being transformed by Christ. And you will have a desire to be part of the mission of Christ. And you can be a great person, but if your life is not characterized by I've been humbled, I'm being transformed, I'm caught up in God's mission, you got to ask, did you ever have a Damascus Road experience? And I love... That there's this regular guy named Ananias, not the Ananias from chapter five, but a different one. And he's just praying and doing his thing, and God says to him, Hey, there's somebody I want you to go pray with. His name's Saul. And Ananias says, Sounds like you said Saul. I'm not, I don't want to go pray with that guy. And I love how even in the New Testament, people are arguing with God, just like we do. That guy's not gonna follow Jesus. Now, who in Sweetwater would you say is never gonna follow Jesus? Go get that person. Go get, change the way you think. Go get that person. Believe that the gospel is powerful enough. Go find the biggest dope dealer in Sweetwater. Go find the the, the biggest religious person in Sweetwater. I don't care. Go find the person whose drug of choice is crack. Go find the person whose drug of choice is religion and go share the true gospel with them and believe that that's enough to change them. We see it in the Ethiopian eunuch. We see it in, in, in Saul. Ananias argues, but then he goes, and he goes to pray with Saul, this guy that has, has imprisoned his friends that has been a threat and a scourge, and he says, Brother Saul. Because that's what the gospel does. It takes somebody that's been your enemy, and it turns that person into your brother. The band's coming up. Guys, everybody in this room, everybody in this town, everybody in this world has a problem. Whether we're insiders or whether we're outcasts whether we've always been in church or whether we've been stuff that we just whether we've done stuff that we just know nobody would ever love us if they knew it whichever we all have this sin problem and the nature of sin is that we, we try to worship God that we try to worship a god that's not God we try to find a way to make our life sense, make sense apart from Christ and whether I'm an insider or an outsider, or an insider or an outcast, I'm called to repent, to turn, to place my trust in Christ. Saul had placed his trust in his abilities, his purity, his rightness. And can I, can I tell you that I'm still tempted to do that? So as, as we close and as we sing our, our final song, I want to invite you to repent and believe. And, and maybe repentance and believing for you is, is a first-time commitment. You're saying, I'm placing my trust in Jesus. I'm tired of believing that I'm too much of an outcast. I'm tired of believing that, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that He's not enough for me. Maybe repentance and belief for you today, maybe you already know Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, but maybe you've forgotten how powerful the gospel is. And maybe, maybe conversion for you today means that you're buying in. You're going all in. That there's not a situation that's too powerful for God. And you're not going to wring your hands anymore. But you're going to start playing offense.